0: Hi. Hello. Welcome back, everybody. Yes. This is Alyssa.
1: Yeah, and Yale.
0: Yeah, and we are your hosts of
1: the Christian Cookie Club. Crunch.
0: <laughs> nice. I yeah. uh, like.
1: Yeah. If we ever do a spinoff. We'll call it the Christian Cookie Club Crunch.
0: Uh, our ASMR is the cookie- <laughs> Christian <laughs> Cookie Club Crunch.
1: <laughs> now you're thinking it's with our podcast
0: ASMR channel coming out very soon. We exclusively eat cookies.
1: This is not true. Oh, it's a good idea though.
0: What? What do you mean it's not true? If I
1: didn't have to do like real work to earn real money, <laughs> uh, yeah, I would. told totally, You know that'd be a really good venture. Yeah, but no. Maybe in a few years. Yeah. Yeah. Would you like to pray us in?
0: Yes, I will pray us in. Um dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for opening our eyes this morning. Thank you that we get to gather in this space. Um we pray that you would be in our conversations. Um we know that where two or more people gather in your name, there you are with them. Thank you for being with us in advance. Thank you for everything that you're doing through this podcast in advance and um, yeah, we're just grateful to see you working and hear you working through each of us. We always love hearing what you have to say, and I pray that you would be willing to speak it through us tonight, Lord. um we love you and it's in Jesus' name. we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you so much, Alyssa. Mm-hmm. That was lovely. Thank you <laughs> <laughs> um, before we we get into the real meat and potatoes of this here of this here chapter. Mm-hmm multiple chapters we got two chapters in mere christianity and then a couple verses from the old testament tonight but before we begin we have to do one more thing
0: yes my famous icebreaker yale yeah tell me uh-huh. if you could have any animal as a pet what would it be and
1: what would you name it it would be a sloth and <laughs> i would name him fungus <laughs>
0: No way. Why is sloth? Those things are disgusting.
1: That's why his name is Fungus. Okay.
0: He's the Fungus Among Us. Yes. <laughs> no.
1: Yes. And he would have, well, see, the way I would do it, I would live in an A frame and I would have it so that, like, there's these, like, what are they? Branches all over the A-frame <laughs> on the inside of the top deck. Okay. So it's like a super high ceiling home. All right. And he, basically there's walls in the house, but there's no ceilings. It's all just the A-frame ceiling. So he can just kind of crawl and roam above the rafters of my home. And I don't really have to be afraid because it's just a sloth, you know, like if it was a chimpanzee, he could just fall on me and snap my neck like a ninja. Yeah. But it's a sloth. So worst case scenario, he might fall on my head and stab me in the eye, which is still not good. But with the power of Christ, I um, prevail. I prevail and don't have to be afraid.
0: This is this is true.
1: Yeah. I'm not going to say it's going to protect me from going blind from a sloth falling from the ceiling of my A-frame house into my eye, but my soul will not be damaged. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Uh, What pet would you pick,
1: Alyssa?
0: (laughs) I want um, a white tiger named Baraka. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. I like it.
0: Baraka. For everybody who doesn't play Mortal Kombat, is my main in Mortal Kombat. And um I want a tiger named Baraka or or a pig
1: named Baraka. Stark difference in animal choice. I know, right? Yeah.
0: But or a panda. You know what? I have you too are many ideas all
1: over the board. I the know. point is you want a pet four legs named Baraka. Yeah. Give or take hoof, claw or paw.
0: Yeah. So like most unrealistic, probably tiger, most realistic pig.
1: Yeah. Panda's right in between. Yeah, totally.
0: <laughs> or maybe, you know what? Tiger King gets a lot of tigers. Maybe they're not that hard to get. I they're know not. Panda would be really hard panda's to get. Panda's
1: a lot harder. OK, so yeah, China controls the panda market.
0: OK, so switch to
1: order. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I'm saying is we got to bring panda manufacturing back to the States.
0: Yeah. Panda manufacturing. Praise God. Anyway. uh...
1: So, now that we got the silliness out of us, let's get into the serious theology, Uh, which full disclaimer, we we are not professional theologians. We are just a couple of uh, people practicing Christianity, and it is practice. We are learning the walk each and every day, and uh, yeah, so here we go. We're going to open up with Exodus. 25, 8 through 9. It reads Then have them make a sanctuary for me. This is God speaking, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. This is God fulfilling his promise, the promise that he made to Abraham years prior, hundreds of years prior. Um, in which he said that he would make a, a great nation of his descendants and dwell among them. Mm-hmm. This is the beginning of that dwelling where he tells Moses, Go down and have your people build for me a tabernacle, really like a tent. It's been explained to me. Yeah. Um, with a gold covenant containing important items from history from the Lord's history that he wants his people to cherish and never forget. And a place where God will explain later on and we'll read at the end of our episode, a place for God to visit with his people, a place for them to visit him and for them to commune with one another. You're you're making a look. And did I explain that half, <laughs> half accurately or did I kind of butcher it?
0: No, no, it's good. It's um like... Yeah.
1: Yeah, long shift at work.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, like, I'm like a little bit dead, but it's okay. We're fine. We're thriving. We're alive in Christ. Um, Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just thinking about how, like, the... Only, like, the... Because there's, like, the priest, right? But then there's, like, the high priest, and only the high priest can go into the Holy of Holies.
1: And I learned today that high priests could only be Levites. Yeah. Yeah. But as we will sort of get into a little bit later, unless we forget, I really hope we don't. (laughs) God willing, we'll see what God wants. But um, once we talk about Jesus and his high priesthood, how that breaks the Mosaic covenant and creates, and is the beginning of the creation of the new covenant in Christ, because Christ was from the line of Judea or Jude. Like judah
0: christ is from the um
1: line of david david yeah just judah or judidian
0: uh yeah well judah didn't come until like first kings because it was just israel and then israel split into two which is like israel and judah Judah's just the. And he just from the line of judah two tribes wasn't he yeah but he, yeah he's from one of the tribes of judah but there's i think there's two tribes in judah and i don't
1: i forgot which one he's from point is he was yeah. not from the tribe of Levite and yeah, thus no. breaking the Mosaic Covenant. Yeah. Um, what was my point there? I don't know. Should I move on? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> what do you say, Alyssa? Did I interrupt your thought there?
0: No. I don't, I don't remember.
1: God have mercy on know. me. <laughs> well, let's do a recap very quickly of what we went over a few weeks ago. Um, we didn't mean to misguide you, but I suppose we did. Last week, we did a Bible bite instead of more C.S. Lewis. And I think we're going to do more of that, Alyssa, because, frankly, um, not to get in the weeds here, but the data looked good. Some bloke from Romania listened to it. God (laughs) bless him. So, I think Bible Bites are something that we should continue doing. They're important, because, frankly, if the things we're saying doesn't have scriptural basis, um, they should be thrown out. Yeah, so it's important to stay in scripture. With that being said, always. That is the base. Much of what C.S. Lewis says, I believe, can be found and backed up in scripture. And don't worry, I'll cut all of me having gas out. (laughs) So it's just one smooth speaking flow. All right. We're going to catch up on books. Sorry. Book two, chapter one and two, which we went over a few weeks ago by C.S. Lewis. So in summary, what we went over our types of gods. If you remember, Alyssa, that our Lord, the creator of heaven, is the one true God. Other interpretations of gods in a similar nature, but not really. It's like close, but not quite there is the pantheistic idea of God, which is to say that instead of. God being something outside of and capable of interacting with the world and the universe, his creation. It's instead that God is the universe and is creation. Whereas I'd say at least I I believe, you know, check your Bibles. I'm no professional theologian, but the Trinity kind of encompasses that. It's like it's to say that God is the father the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that is to say that God is outside creation, capable of being within creation, and at once in every moment of creation through all creatures, uh, is my understanding of that. Pantheists say God is just one of those, specifically not the Father, but more of a spirit sense in everything was my understanding of the last few chapters chapter one anyways and chapter two is basically going over that God in the Christian mind view sorry Christian worldview is a moral arbiter and creator he's not just this all-powerful deity he's also a benevolent good force And evil is something that spun out from him and betrayed him. It was one of his creations that betrayed him, went down to earth, and has been junking things up ever since. And that's what we're going to really dive into today. Um, And this particular evil takes in scriptural form the, uh, the shape of Lucifer, the devil, Satan, or in other words, the enemy. So, Alyssa, without further ado, unless we have anything to add or talk about from chapters one or two, I think it's time to get into it. Nothing to add for chapter one or two?
0: Chapter? No, I had a thought about something in, that you just said, but it doesn't really have anything to do with anything. So, I don't know if you don't... Shoot. Probably, probably don't want to talk about it, but um, about about Satan, I just think it's interesting because, like, angels have free will too, right? But, um... But I, I thought I heard a pastor say once that like Jesus didn't die for angels, like he died for people. But like angels aren't perfect either, so I'm just kind of confused. Like what what happens when angels like mess up? You know, like
1: yeah, they're ban- they're thrown out of heaven. That's but like and sent to earth to torture us humans. That's it though. I don't know. I'm I don't I. I was reading a little bit about Nephilim, so some of that might be extracurricular outside the Bible's <laughs> uh, official canon right now, but that was my understanding. Because, yeah, I don't know what you do. Um, can you send them to hell? Does he yeah. send them to hell? Can hell be a place on earth?
0: Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. <laughs> okay, you're gonna cut that out, please. I won't. No, please. <laughs> All right. You know that song?
1: Of course. <laughs>
0: anyway, sorry.
1: Book 2, chapter 3.
0: Wait.
1: Okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Wait a minute. Which book? <laughs> I read the wrong part. No, I read the right part. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> chapter 3. The shocking alternative. I'll start, because as usual, I've underlined way too much, and C.S. deserves your hard-earned cash. Christians then believe that an evil power has made himself for the present, the prince of this world, and of course that raises problems. Is this state of affairs in accordance with God's will or not? Anyone who has been in authority knows how a thing can be in accordance with your will in one way and not in another. You make a thing voluntary, and then half the people do not do it. That is not what you willed, but your will has made it possible.
0: Okay, this right here is Sunday school in a nutshell.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, that is what that reminded me of. I thought that was so funny. Because we have our little, like, packets, right? With everything spelled out. You can do this at this time, this and, th- this and that time, right? And then, like, you get, like, no, I don't want to do that. Or... Okay, wait, here, let's pass out the supplies. Oh, wait, we passed everything out. Oh, wait, the kids took longer to do it. Oh, we don't have time to do this next thing. Like, or, like, oh, can we do this instead? Or, like, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. That's just what this reminded me of. Anybody who's Where's been. Where's the in- ball? Yeah. <laughs> I want the ball. No, I put it away. Someone got hurt last week. Like, no. <laughs> yeah.
1: We lost another one to the ball. Oh, the ball? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, well, I think that's just um, that's such a truism about the nature of reality being a, as a person is that you intend like, I mean, we just experienced this this last week and Brian texted me and then you review it still, but we tried to do it good and there's consequences when you do anything good. There can be consequences and you, you I mean, I'm trying to think of a time in my life, like example, there's I mean, when you pick up somebody's shift at work, right? The consequences are you make more money. Um, work has you fill in, so they're 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 covered. But let's say it's not a job that you are super experienced in or it's a position that you've only done a couple times. Like, let's say it's in it's in food in particular, because I've had this experience where you cover for somebody that maybe you're not qualified to cover for. It's like, yeah, you're helping to a point, but you're also doing some damage by helping. Now, you're definitely helping more than Let's say you would if you just said, no, I can't. I'm busy today and didn't come in. But you came in and you did your part. It caused some other things to go wrong, but it also caused some things to go right. So I just think it's great uh, what C.S. Lewis says here in that this Satan, this fallen angel wasn't started as such. It was because of God's benevolence that evil was allowed to exist. C.S. Lewis writes, God created things which had free will. That means creatures which can go either wrong or right. Some people think they can imagine a creature which was free but had no possibility of going wrong. I cannot. Free will is what has made evil possible. Why then did God give them free will? Because free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. C.S. continues, Of course God knew what would happen if they used their freedom the wrong way. Apparently he thought it worth the risk. Perhaps we feel inclined to disagree with him, but there is a difficulty about disagreeing with God. He is the source from which all your reasoning power comes. You could not be right and he wrong any more than a stream can rise higher than its own source. When you are arguing against him, you are arguing against the very power that makes you able to argue at all. It is like cutting off the branch you are sitting on. If God thanks this state of war in the universe a price worth paying for free will, that is, for making a live world in which creatures can do real good or harm, and something of real importance can happen, instead of a toy world which only moves when he pulls the strings, then we may take it, is worth paying. Again, just hammering that point in further.
0: So basically you can't reason against the thing that reasons allows you to reason in the
1: first place. You can't reason against the thing who speaks existence into being. Period. How can a painting explain its creator? <laughs> <laughs> Please leave that. In. Please. I can't, man. This podcast, dude. After, come on. After hearing like what a good Christian podcast sounds like, this is. Yeah, I'll leave it in. (laughs) We listen. This is what makes our club our club. Yeah, we're disgusting. (laughs) Not what I was gonna say.
0: Well, I am. So there you go. Why am I saying these things? I'm so tired.
1: What? What things? (laughs) Saying how disgusting we are? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Are you the anime? Are you the devil? No,
0: I'm just tired. I swear. I swear.
1: Yeah, it's tough. We have to find a better some behind. (laughs) This is some behind the music uh, stuff right here, but we're going to have to find a a better schedule for our podcasting. Anyways, C.S. Lewis continues. (laughs) You know, I just want to leave that in as an example of free will. What? Just us being goofy. Just, oh, okay. All two of our listeners are gone.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, my mom and your mom know. No, no!
1: <laughs> they can't. They can't handle us. Yeah, no. Too obnoxious. Yeah. <laughs> okay, serious time. C.S. Lewis continues. How did the dark power go wrong? The moment you have a self at all, there is a possibility of putting yourself first. Want, Wanting to be the center, wanting to be God. In fact, that was the sin of Satan, and that was the sin he taught the human race. The story in the book of Genesis rather suggests that some corruption in our sexual nature followed the fall and was its result, not its cause. What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like gods. I just read the uh, what was in the parentheses there so I may have read oddly. What were you going to say, Alyssa?
0: Um cuz before the parentheses it says some people think the fall of man had something to do with sex, but that is a mistake. Yeah. Okay, when I first read that work, I thought it had I thought it meant like the intercourse, if you will, but rereading it I'm like, "Oh, wait, he's talking about like sexes and gender." I think because it says because it says um some people think the fall of man had something to do with sex but that was a mistake and I was that reminded me like a lot of people or not a lot but some people are like oh like women <laughs> Like Eve was the one that took the fruit and gave it to her husband. Like that's a like that's a thing. Like
1: it was like, Mm -hmm. it was like Eve. Well, I think there is some merit to the idea that of the mythopoetics in the in the in the story of Genesis, the very beginning with Adam and Eve, displaying man's uh tendency to fall into the temptation into the temptation of his lust for women, whether it be what they say or how they look, I think that might be what some people are getting at. Because if you see right afterwards, Adam does the total man thing and just completely blames Eve. (laughs) Like immediately afterwards. And then goes a step forward and does the bad man thing. And cowers and hides from God. I
0: thought they hid from God like before.
1: You're right. I may have gotten that backwards. <laughs> but it's like No, twofold. but like I get what you're saying. But the original sin wasn't Eve's tempting Adam. It was the fact that they ate the apple. Yeah. It's the fact that by going against God's wishes, by going against God's first and only law, they were breaching a contract and trying to usurp God trying to say in that action I can be like you I can work around the rules you gave me but that's not the case and in like and in doing so they were kicked out of the garden because they disobeyed their creator
0: yeah but like it's always so like, interesting to read how they're, like, kicked out of the garden because before they leave, like, fig leaves are really, like, I think there's, like, spiny. I've never seen one, but I've heard that they're, like, spiny. They're uncomfortable. They're, like, rough. I a fig tree.
1: Oh, you do? Oh. Those are big leaves out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh. But those leaves aren't really... Maybe it's not, like, the fruit. Maybe it's a different kind of leaf. I don't know. The, but <laughs> I don't know. I remember um in my like notes somewhere the leaves are like a type of spiny little uncomfortable leaf Mm -hmm. (laughs) something tough that they sewed together and then before they leave god gives them like actual clothes like
1: which shows that even from the beginning even though he was mad at us he still cared and nurtured us
0: yeah and literally, and literally, that's where the first, because people are like, always like, God is so, like, cruel, and he tossed to the garden for making, like, one mistake, whatever. No, no. He clothed us, number one. Number two, okay, big fat number two, he said, um, that was the, the first prophecy of, of Jesus is in Genesis, is it three or four? I think it's three. And he says, um, like, man will crush the head of the serpent with his heel or something like that. That's, that's referring to Jesus, like, ultimately defeating Satan. Like, there was a plan before there was even, like, a plan, you know? Like, mm-hmm. that's always so interesting to me.
1: Lewis continues. God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. That is the key to history. Terrific energy is expended, civilizations are built up, excellent institutions devised, but each time something goes wrong. Some fatal flaw always brings the selfish and cruel people to the top, and it all slides back into misery and ruin. That is what Satan has done to us humans.
0: I feel like in the part that it says God can't give us happiness and peace apart from himself because apart from him there is none like that's what he is and like you know I know there are a lot of people that would say like I am happy I'm not religious I'm I don't have a relationship with God and like I'm happy what do you mean God is still around you and with you whether you accept it or not mm. like that is the reason for your joy you just don't realize it you just don't acknowledge it but like it's i forgot what it's called um common something common common grace that's what it is common grace god has grace for people that don't believe
1: in him mm-hmm. like
0: god is in this world
1: he has the grace whether to discipline. you
0: believe in him or not
1: he has the grace to discipline you too
0: yeah yeah
1: whether or not you believe in him
0: yeah like it's not just joy like there's consequences for you too Because like he still loves you even if you don't love him. Which is really heartbreaking to think about. But. Another testament to the goodness of God, right?
1: Truly. Yeah. C.S. Lewis continues. And what did God do? First of all, he left us conscious. The sense of right and wrong. And all through history there have been people trying, some of them very hard, to obey it. None of them ever quite succeeded. Secondly, he sent the human race what I call good dreams. I mean those queer stories scattered all through the heathen religions about a god who dies and comes to life again, and by his death has somehow given new life to men. Thirdly, he selected one particular people and spent several centuries hammering into their heads the sort of God he was, that there was only one of him, and that he cared about right conduct. Those people were the Jews, and the Old Testament gives an account of the hammering process. And that's sort of the point of reading Exodus 30, sorry, Exodus 25, uh, verses 8 and 9. Is that from the beginning, God has been making promises to his people, Israel, and then fulfilling them, and then going above and beyond to fulfill them, because like a good father, he knows exactly what we need, and it's not always what we want, or what we think it's going to be, or how we think it ought to be. C.S. Lewis continues. Then comes the real shock. Among these Jews, there suddenly turns up a man who goes about talking as if he was God. He claims to forgive sins. He says he has always existed. He says he is coming to judge the world at the end of time. Among pantheists, like the Indians, anyone might say that he was a part of God or one with God. There would be nothing very odd about it. But this man, since he was a Jew, could not mean that kind of God. God in their language meant the being outside the world, who had made it and was infinitely different from anything else. And when you have grasped that, you will see that what this man said was quite simply the most shocking thing that has ever been uttered by human lips. So let's think about that a moment. I I used to go to um, Mosaic Church in uh, Hollywood and the pastor there I realized now you know in some denominations this might be heathenistic but he would constantly and you could tell he was really talking to his audience because we're in Hollywood tons of artists or people who think they're artists or want to be artists like whatever we're all artists and he said that in his mind Jesus was an artist just such a strange statement but me as a secular person hearing that statement that really drew me toward Jesus and certainly opened the door I think to learning more about him and you know for the longest time even at the beginning of this year uh and I'll admit this idea is starting to fade But I was really clinging on to the idea that Jesus was a man, a teacher, like an artist, who was like a slam poet in the streets, riffing mad parables, dishing mad parables to the people of Israel. But, you know, the more you study the story, the more it doesn't compute, the more it starts to. I don't know, the more it starts to click, it's like, yeah, if I was alive during during uh, during Jesus's time, who knows what side of history I'd be on and who knows where I'd fall. But if I saw that man speaking, I would probably think, uh, you know, with the lens of today, it's like, how would I know what I thought then? But the lens of today, it's like, oh, that's a really interesting artist. What what an interesting, wow, that's that's what a riveting performance. He's stirring my heart. So it's like to the people of his time, he was an artist. But his resurrection is what made him so much more because we can't be Jesus. We can't even be like Jesus. All we can do is try. CS Lewis continues the claim to forgive sins, any sins. Now, unless the speaker is God, this is really so preposterous to be comic. Sorry. So preposterous as to be comic. You tread on my toe and I forgive you? You steal my money and I forgive you? But what should we make of a man, himself unrobed and untrodden on, who announced that he forgave you for treading on other men's toes and stealing other men's money? Asinine fatuity is the kindest description we should give of his conduct. Yet this is what Jesus did. He told people that their sins were forgiven, and never waited to consult all the other people whom their sins had undoubtedly injured. He unhesitantly behaved as if he was the party chiefly concerned, the person chiefly offended in all offenses. In the mouth of any speaker who is not God, these words would imply what I can only regard as a silliness and conceit unrivaled by any other character in history. Yet, and this is the strange, significant thing, even his enemies, when they read the Gospels, do not usually get the impression of silliness and conceit. (laughs) Lastly, to conclude the chapter, he is humble and meek, and we believe him, not noticing that if he were merely a man, humility and meekness are the very last characteristics we could attribute to some of his sayings. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to.
0: I've had this conversation um, on multiple occasions with people about like, oh yeah, Jesus is cool. He's a really good teacher. And that's it. No. Yes, of course he was an excellent teacher because he was the son of God. But of like these things that he said, a lot of them like make sense to us now, but they sounded bananas back then. Like I'm trying to think of an example. Um, okay. For example, um, this isn't the best example. This is the only one I can think of right now though. The, the, the woman who poured perfume on Jesus' feet. Okay. Perfume was, like, mad expensive back then, right? Mad expensive now, but even more, like, crazy expensive back then. They only used it pretty much for embalming purposes. This woman had a whole jar of it, and I I can't remember where she came from. She came from a Gentile city, I think, and she came to hear Jesus. No. Jesus was at a Pharisee's house. She went to the Pharisee's house because she heard Jesus was there. He's sitting back reclining at the table, I think. And then, um, she takes her jar and she pours it on his feet and wipes it with her hair. And I think she even like cries on him a little bit too. Cause like, I mean, I would too, right? <laughs> but, um of course like nobody understands and everybody gets really mad at her because it's like you just wasted something so precious and expensive you literally just like poured it all on his feet like other people could have used that you know and he's like no like she's honoring me she's done a very kind thing to me and everybody thought it was crazy I mean even now it sounds crazy but like looking back it's like Whoa! And what a what a foreshadowing too for his like embalming after he died. Oh my gosh! Mm. But um, yeah, I kind of forgot how it got here.
1: You said geez, people will say oh. he's a great moral teacher, but that's preposterous.
0: Yeah, because like if you're like well, like wasting, that's not moral, right? Or I don't know.
1: That is a good point. That is not moral. Yeah, you waste things,
0: but. Yeah but Jesus is like
1: But the Lord knows That everything is made Of the same essence Yeah And nothing has ever gone to waste
0: Yeah And everything is for him Yeah Like Even the car that you drive Or the house that you live in Like it's all his anyways So yeah. he's like He's, She's just giving me what I This is mine You know like Everything on this earth is mine Even though he didn't even have that attitude Like you don't get that attitude at all mm-hmm. But like it is Yeah
1: yeah it's hard to wrap the mind around and um it's something that i've struggled with this last year is been like getting a getting over the fact that christ is god he's part of the trinity and not just a man yeah
0: it's really hard it's really hard especially just the life that he lived i think very humble and everybody expected like a great warrior that would part the clouds and come thundering down and with like all this armor and yeah, the, defeat the romans with yeah. a slash of his arm and no. Mm-mm. No, they got a carpenter who a doesn't phil- even have a house like
1: <laughs> yeah. They got a philosophical warrior.
0: Yeah. Very loving healing warrior. Mhm. Yeah.
1: that was chapter three. Now, let us begin. Chapter four, the perfect penitent. I should have looked up what that word means. (laughs) C.S. Lewis writes, Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. God has landed on this enemy-occupied world in human form. And now, what was the purpose of it all? Well, to teach, of course, but as soon as you look into the New Testament, or any other Christian writing, you will find they are constantly talking about something different, about his death and his coming to life again. Now, before I became a Christian, I was under the impression that the first thing Christians had to believe was one particular theory as to what the point of his dying was. According to that theory, God wanted to punish men for having deserted and joined the great rebel, but Christ volunteered to be punished instead. And so God let us off. What I came to see later was that neither this theory nor any other is Christianity. The central Christian belief is that Christ's death has somehow put us right with God and given us a fresh start. A good many different theories have been held as to how it works. What all Christians are agreed on is that it does work. So the theory that I've heard is that... um, through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, he fulfilled uh, countless prophecies riddled throughout all of the Old Testament, and uh, promises as well that God made to his people and to all of the world through his people. So through Christ's death and resurrection, he broke the Mosaic Covenant by using a vessel himself Who lived the Mosaic Law perfectly, was crucified for it, and in doing so paid the debt that all of humankind that came before us, us, and all that humankind that comes after us could not pay, and that was uh, the debt for all of our sins, the debt against Mosaic Law. And then he formed a new covenant through Christ's death. Which is follow my new covenant and you will have eternal life. Choose to worship me, bow down and praise me as Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. So I thought it was really cool. And one of the podcasts I was listening to today, one of the better Christian podcasts, uh, it's called The Authentic Christian. It's very good. The gentlemen sound very learned. They were discussing uh, this point that I've heard in my uh, small group. That is. Abraham in Genesis was asked by God to sacrifice his son, Isaac, And he was going to do it. He was about to kill his son. And then God stops him and is like, wait. The debt's been paid. I don't know if he says it exactly. I'm very bad at like quoting Bible.
0: He's just like, no, it's okay. Here, I'll provide you a goat. And then a goat jumps out of the
1: bushes. I will provide you a goat. Like a lamb. And that's why... And Christians often call Christ the Lamb, that among other reasons too. But Christ's death interceded. Christ's death thousands of years later interceded for Isaac in that moment mm-hmm. is what I've been told. And that is like the thread that connects. That is one of many threads that connects Christ to the Old Testament, that connects, connects this new covenant through Jesus to the Mosaic covenant and laws, is that Christ was that sacrifice. He was interceded for Isaac. He was the lamb slaughtered for all of us.
0: And it's really cool. There's so much foreshadowing in that story. Like, um, I don't remember all of it, but I remember one really cool thing is like, when people were crucified, when like the Romans crucified people, they had to carry their own cross. So like Jesus carried his own cross up the hill, I can't remember. Oh, up Calvary. <laughs> 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 and um yeah. But um Isaac when him and Abraham are going up the mountain, he's carrying the wood for the fire which he thinks they're going to be sacrificing an animal on. But really it's it's going to be him, which awkward. But yeah, I think it's just it's really cool like he was carrying his own firewood and Jesus carried his Cross also would, but
1: wow, yeah, that is really cool, isn't that neat? Very metal,
0: yeah, God's super metal, dude. Super metal, super metal.
1: (laughs) C.S. Lewis goes on to kind of shoot an arrow right through everything we just said, (laughs) more or less. Theories about Christ's death are not Christianity, they are explanations about how it works. Christians would not all agree as to how important these theories are. Fair enough. C.S. <laughs> Lewis goes on. On my view, the theories are not themselves the thing you are asked to accept. On my view, the theories are not themselves the thing you are asked to accept. Many of you, no doubt, have read Jeans or Eddington. What they do when they want to explain the atom, or something of that sort, is to give you a description out of which you can make a mental picture. But then they warn you that this picture is not what the scientists actually believe. What the scientists believe is a mathematical formula. The pictures are there only to help you to understand the formula. I love that. Mm -hmm. The thing itself cannot be pictured it can only be expressed mathematically. We are in the same boat here. We believe that the death of Christ is just that point in history at which something absolutely unimaginable from outside shows through into our own world. And if we cannot picture even the atoms of which our own world is built, of course we are not going to be able to picture this. Indeed, if we found that we could fully understand it, That very fact would show it was not what it professes to be, the inconceivable, the uncreated, the thing from beyond nature, striking down into nature like lightning. You may ask, what good will it be to us if we do not understand it? But that is easily answered. A man can eat his dinner without understanding exactly how food nourishes him. A man can accept what Christ has done without knowing how it works, indeed he certainly would not know how it works until he has accepted it and that's the biggest biggest point yeah um is that you hear in church sometimes i've heard i heard right before i got baptized it's not magic because it's not it's not magic it's god Mm. it's the holy spirit and it's so hard to wrap our heads around but It, um, in a way, it feels like you're training your mind and your body and your soul to convene with the creator of the universe. You're relinquishing your control. You're accepting you don't have control because you don't. And you're inviting that lack of control into your life. Everything about Christianity is so dual. There's so much duality to all of it, but. There's also the Trinity. That is to say, it's never black and white. It's never this or that. It's always this and a little bit more and a little bit more. And it's so simple yet hard to explain or describe. But it's one of those magical things that's not magic. If you relinquish yourself, if you admit, I do not have control over my life. Jesus Christ came here to speak to me, to intercede on my behalf. God, I'm opening to listen to what you have to say. I'm open to reading the words that your son proclaimed. I'm open to understand you, Father. Just saying that changed my heart and it changes hearts every single day. And that's the mysterious power of it all. Um, and you can keep studying it and keep studying it, and it always gets more complex yet stays relatively simple. It's it's beautiful. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. When he was talking about how, like, you can accept what Christ did without understanding it, that took, like, when I first, like, was learning about jesus and and god like that's what really took me a long time was i was like i don't get it like i don't understand and like so therefore i must not have the ability to believe because like i don't i don't get it um good news i learned later is that you never will (laughs) and you don't have to be able to imagine it and you can still believe it even if you can't picture it or you can't fully explain it and like that's okay yeah and um and I realize like there's a lot of things that we do or experience every day that we can't fully explain that are way more simple than this so it's like why not like you a lot of people don't completely know how car some people do but a lot of people don't completely know how a car works and yet you drive it every day like why like why can't you i don't know
1: that is such a good point yeah not believing or understanding better yet not understanding yeah. how something works doesn't make it not work
0: yeah exactly yeah that took a while for me to learn but totally makes sense now
1: yeah c.s lewis continues we are told that christ was killed for us that his death has washed out our sins and that by dying he disabled death itself that is the formula that is christianity that is what has to be believed Any theories we build up as to how Christ's death did all this are, in my view, quite secondary. Mere plans or diagrams to be left alone if they do not help us. And even if they do help us, not to be confused with the thing itself. All the same, some of these theories are worth looking at. The one most people have heard is the one I mentioned before. The one about our being let off because Christ had volunteered to bear punishment instead of us. Now, on the face of it, that is a very silly theory. If God was prepared to let us off, why on earth did he not do so? And what possible point could there be in punishing an innocent person instead? None at all that I can see if you are thinking of punishment in the police court sense. On the other hand, if you think of a debt, there is plenty of point in a person who has some assets paying it on behalf of someone who has not. When one person has got himself into a hole, the trouble of getting him out usually falls on a kind friend. Now, sorry.
0: Sorry, sorry. I just um a quick interjection. I've been asked that question multiple times also of like God is all powerful and God is all knowing and God can do anything, like why did he send Jesus to die? Like why did Jesus have to die? And it's like it, like you're thinking about it in the sense of like you don't know God anything and he just sent this guy to die. No you have a debt like a massive debt against an all perfect being which you are nowhere near that must be paid that like that's why jesus said like jesus is the payment and like god was gracious enough to send that payment in the form of his son like
1: pew. yeah and in the old testament yeah uh, let's think back to god called his people israel to sacrifice cattle and lambs and things of value with life who had value for their sins to atone for their sins to atone for breaking the mosaic laws but think of all the you're a person i'm a person think of all the times you've done wrong and let let yourself go just let yourself off the hook god isn't letting us off the hook god doesn't let anybody off the hook so think of all the times animals weren't sacrificed. Think of all that com- that compounded interest of sin yeah. building up on the human index. Yeah. No amount of blood could wash it clean. Yeah. It would take the slaughtering of all living creatures on earth up to a certain point. Just think of how much you sin in a day. Yeah. Especially if you're not with the Lord. Yeah. Even if you're with the Lord. Oh yeah. So Yeah, I mean I we can go in circles on it, but I just think that's that adds more scriptural validity to Christ and his sacrifice for us. Yeah. C.S. Lewis continues. Now, what was the sort of hole man had gotten himself into? He had tried to set up on his own, to behave as if he belonged to himself. Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. Laying down your arms, surrendering, saying you are sorry, realizing that you have been on the wrong track and getting ready to start life over again from the ground floor. That is the only way out of a hole. This process of surrender, this movement full speed astern, is what Christians call repentance. Now repentance is no fun at all. It means killing part of yourself, undergoing a kind of death. The only person who could do it perfectly would be a perfect person, and he would not need it. Remember, this repentance, this willing submission to humiliation and a kind of death is not something God demands of you before he will take you back and which he could let you off if he chose. It is simply a description of what going back to him is like. If you ask God to take you back without it, you are really asking him to let you go back without going back. It cannot happen. But the same badness which makes us need it makes us unable to do it. Can we do it if God helps us? Yes. But what do we mean when we talk of God helping us? We mean God putting into us a bit of himself, so to speak. He puts a little of his love into us, and that is how we love one another. Now, if we had not fallen, that would be all plain sailing. But unfortunately, we now need God's help in order to do something, which God in his own nature never does at all to surrender, to suffer, to submit, to die. Nothing in God's nature corresponds to this process at all. So that the one road for which we now need God's leadership most of all is a road God in his own nature has never walked.
0: Until Jesus. Bum, bum, ba-na-na. Ba-na-na.
1: <laughs> but it's a great point, how can you have a relationship with something not of this world.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I like everyone thinks like obviously because this is the biggest reason, of course, but Jesus was sent to this world to die and to be raised to life for our sins to pay the penalty, right? But another reason another big reason is because jesus makes god personable like
1: you can't have a relationship with someone you don't relate to
0: yeah like if you're like god i'm really hungry like y'all pray when you're hungry because like can i get an amen (sighs) sorry hangry it's a thing god i'm hangry please help um god's not gonna like have be like have that i mean of course he has the understanding because he's god but like jesus being a human being can empathize with that because he's like dude yeah i was a human i probably went you know days without food i feel that bro i empathize with you like you need that you need that empathy like you need to feel like he understands yeah, yeah. jesus makes god personable
1: yeah C.S. Lewis continues, But supposing God became a man, suppose our human nature, which can suffer and die, was amalgamated with God's nature in one person, then that person could help us. He could surrender his will and suffer and die because he was man. He could do it perfectly because he was God. You and I can go through this process only if God does it in us, but God can do it only if he becomes man. He cannot die except by being a man. That is the sense in which he pays our debt and suffers for us what he himself need not suffer at all. I have heard some people complain that if Jesus was God as well as man, then his sufferings and death lose all value in their eyes because it must have been so easy for him. The perfect submission, the perfect suffering, the perfect death were not only easier to Jesus because he was God, but were possible only because he was God. If I am drowning in a rapid river, a man who still has one foot on the bank may give me a hand which saves my life. Ought I to shout back between my gasps, No, it's not fair! You have an advantage! You're keeping one foot on the bank! That advantage, call it unfair if you like, is the only reason why he can be of any use to me. To what will you look for help if you will not look to that which is stronger than yourself? Such is my own way of looking at what Christians call the atonement. But remember, this is only one more picture. Do not mistake it for the thing itself. And if it does not help you, drop it
0: drop it no sorry okay um so yeah so a lot of people talking about well jesus knew he was gonna die i mean jesus knew what he was gonna go through it couldn't have been that bad for him because he knew right um yes correct that's the point like it should have been easier for him because if it wasn't because it was just as hard for him as it was for any other human being then he wasn't god like the fact that he is stronger and was completely able to do all of that it should it should add value not subtract from the value i think i i understand the viewpoint that's like you know Jesus knowing what he was going to go through and like all of that in advance. I understand how that could like lose value for some people in their in their minds. But if you think about it in the sense that like he's more powerful than you, you need something more powerful than you to save you. Why not him? Why shouldn't that add to the value like that adds to the credibility of him being God and makes it more um, I don't know, substantial. yeah. So yeah, I think that should give people more hope than less because it just adds to his credibility as God. but
1: yeah, yeah. I have one more. well, it's actually technically five more verses of chapter 25 from Exodus to read. And so God says, Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide, and make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make our cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim on one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the Ark and put in the Ark the tablets of covenant law that I will give you. There, above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the Ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites.
0: Teeny tiny side note. Um, The gold, whenever you see gold, In a passage like that, like think about what it's being used to make because the it says it was used in that one to make cherubim and gold is pure. So usually whatever like they make gold out of is like something pure or something clean. But yeah, side note.
1: And that's incredible because this is the first instance of God dwelling among not just one chosen Israelite, but all of Israel. Can go to this tabernacle to commune with God one on one. And you just said an incredible anecdote or I don't know, bit of history about the gold and how it was seen as this purity. Therefore, the temple was covered, and then inside the cover was this pure covenant, mm-hmm. Ark of the Covenant mm-hmm. <laughs> box containing God's law, and the Israelites were supposed to go in there and pray before it to commune with their Lord God. Just as Jesus came to earth, lived a pure life, according to Mosaic law, was pure within his body, the temple, so that he may live according to the prophecies that were foretold. And in doing so, His death split the veil between God and Israel and the people of all earth opening a way for the creator of heaven to commune directly with the individual wherever they are, whenever they are to be with them so long as they seek him. Whoa. Whoa. Amen. Amen. Wow. I love God. Yay. And, hey. Me too. And uh, I'm just loving this journey that we're taking with C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Next week, it might be a Bible bite, it might be more Mere Christianity. We definitely recommend buying Mere Christianity and listening. Mm-hmm if you have it uh, on Audible or something or reading it. And then uh, we also, of course, recommend spending time with the Word of God. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: 20 minutes each day. Um, At least. At least. Get in your Bible bites. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, It's been fun. We will see you. We will speak to you (laughs) next
0: week. Yeah, we won't see you.
1: No, I did that last week too. And uh, I'm just going to quickly pray us out. But before I pray us out, this has been Yale. And Alyssa. Thank you so much for listening to the Christian Cookie Club podcast. Please rate it, share it, tell your friends and family about it. And uh, stay in the word. We'll be praying for you. And thank you so much for listening. Dear God. Thank you for waking us up today. Thank you that we get to gather to learn more about you, God, to dwell with your spirit, Lord God. Thank you that your spirit dwells with us when we speak with you and of you, Lord God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your deeds and your actions, Lord God. Thank you for Alyssa. Thank you for creation. God, thank you for giving us an opportunity to share with the world and each other. Lord God, thank you. You are love. We are your creations. God, and we just ask that you bestow your spirit on us so that we may humbly serve you, so that we may be a blessing to others and around our lives. God, watch over and protect us, Lord. Thank you for feeding us. Thank you for clothing us and keeping us warm, God. We pray for all of our listeners, God, that you comfort them and you seek them so they may seek and find you, God, because you are there waiting for them. We love you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.